If you'll wave it at me, kind of shake it at me. Yeah, look at all the Bibles in there. Go, if you will, to Romans, the 12th chapter. And I want to follow up a little bit on what we started last week. How many enjoyed what we started last week? You can tell your Facebook friends that every Sunday afternoon, Austin posts on the podcast Facebook, whoever's preaching on Sunday morning, the entire lesson in its entirety in the month of September. Look at someone say September. Church of the Harvest webpage. Is that right, Austin? Where's Austin? Church Harvest, is that bothering you? Okay. Oh. Right, she's going, to, she's going to eat the mixed fruit. I know what she's doing. In the month of September, Church of the Harvest webpage got, are you ready? 12,000 hits. 12,000 people hit our, I mean, that is, that is pretty incredible, guys. That's probably through Daystar and TBN, but God's allowing us to touch the world. And I want to encourage everyone in this house that you have any kind of visionary, any kind of uh, ingenious attitude or mindset we're wanting to upgrade every single thing on the webpage, whether it's praise and worship, whether it's youth ministry, whether it's uh, children's ministry. We're wanting when people go on online that they can see what kind of ministries are here. How many is or is not aware of our Big Brother program? Anybody? On Facebook this week, I saw a mom very upset at her ex-husband because he never spends any time with his children, ever. And I went on Facebook and I told her about how God promised to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers, the hearts of the fathers back to the children. At Church of the Harvest, there's a big brother program for kids without dads. We take our kids out. We take them fishing. We take them camping. We do stuff with them. We play football with them. Yesterday afternoon, we went out and took a couple of kids and we shot a pistol at a chair. The chair did nothing wrong, if anybody, but we killed the chair. And then Paul had to show up with the slug shotgun, and he shot the chair, a big hole in the chair. And we let, we let the boy take the chair home so he could show his mom that he got to shoot a pistol for his first time, and he got to kill the chair. Now, Christine could have killed the chair, but she didn't want to kill the chair. She would rather pet the puppy. So, but, we, but we have a ministry that, that reaches out and touches kids in our church and kids in this, in, this, in this neighborhood that need a touch from God. Get plugged in. Do something for the kingdom. Get, get involved in something. Just volunteer for something. Just, you never know what God may use you to do. You ne- look at somebody and say, you never know. Romans 12, reading from the New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his real will is. How many would like to know what is the real will of God? How many would like to feel like that you're really doing something that, that God wants you to do? If you are going to write a a title for this thought today it would probably be living your life living your life to get God's attention living your life to get God's attention I remember as a child growing up there were a lot of things I did that got the attention of people some of the attention I got I didn't really like 
I don't know why, but at every school I've ever been to, the assistant principal was always the one responsible for discipline. And it seemed like several times during the month, I got the attention of the assistant principal. Now, when I was a kid in school, you know, that was before the Vietnam War, uh, you were authorized to spank kids in, in school. And I don't know how many of you ever had an assistant principal that cut a baseball bat in half, drilled holes in the end of it, marked a place on the ground, put your feet there, and then whacked you to see how far he could get you to, to levitate forward. How many, how many can remember the ping-pong paddle with the holes drilled in it? Or, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, kids today, so if they did that, I'd sue them. And yeah, you probably would. But in those days, we didn't, we didn't know you could sue assistant principals. So I got the attention of people that I really didn't want to get the attention of very, 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 very early in life. I think I'd had my driver's license for maybe a month, and I got the attention of the California Highway Patrol. All my life, all my life, I've learned that the pedal was for one thing. And what is it? To floor it. I mean, the only speed I knew was open. Listen, it didn't matter, matter whether it was a forklift. I mean, I flipped a forklift. I, I would put stuff on the ground and burn rubber with the forklift tire just because I could. If it was a wheelbarrow, whatever it was, I, I pushed it as fast as it could go. By the time I was 18, I got a letter from the Department of Motor Vehicles that said, if you get one more ticket, this year we're going to take away your license. I got 22 tickets before the age of 18. Before I turned 18, I had completely totaled a car, rolled a motorcycle, and was with another guy that flipped a car upside down. So I did a lot of stuff in life that got the attention of people I didn't want to get the attention of. But I believe this lesson today, as we remember what we learned last week, I believe this lesson today can help us get the attention of God. Does God want our attention? Remember Hebrews 11 and 5, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is a God that will bless and, and minister to his kids if they're going out of their way to get his attention. How many have ever seen somebody show off? How many have ever seen kids do something stupid to get the attention of the young lady? I remember, I remember several years ago, I don't remember how many, can re, how many can relate to this, I'm sure Courtney can, but we went to Enterprise Alabama to do some work on a church. And some of our young guys were jumping off the roof of the parsonage into a bush. Now tell me if that, how, how many of you kids remember that? Courtney, you remember that? I mean, they would, they would get on the edge of the roof, Tyler, and they would jump off the roof into a bush. Now, I never, I never could grasp what was the purpose or the meaning of that, but they went to get the attention of the young lady that they thought was cute or attractive. How do you remember Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn? I remember what Huckleberry did to get the attention of Becky Thatcher. Do you remember that? He would, try to walk, he would try to walk the fence. He would jump into the river. It's scary sometimes what we will do to get the attention of others. But I believe that God wants us to know that we can get his attention. Three people I want to talk about that got the attention of God. One is, two are found in the Hebrews 11 chapter. You can have a term there. One is Abel. One is Enoch. And one is Cornelius. The Bible said that Abel worshipped God with his whole heart. And when he offered to God a sacrifice, the Bible says that Cain got jealous of what Abel did for God. And Cain killed Abel. And the Bible says that after Cain was dead, the blood of Abel cried out from the ground and got the attention of God. I believe that there are things that we can do in our worship, in our giving, that can get the attention in the heart of God. 
The Bible says that Enoch was one of those guys that had a private meditation, private devotion. The Bible says one day he was walking with God. I mean, how cool is that? Walking with God. And Kenny, one day he walked so far from his home, he was closer to God's house than his house. And God said, why don't you come on home and, be, and hang out at my house for a while? How many would like to hang out at God's house for a while? The Bible says that Enoch will come back and visit this earth, will be one of the witnesses that will testify in the last days. But wouldn't it be something to know that your life, your efforts, the things that you're doing today could affect somebody 100 years from now? What will people say about you 100 years from now? Will they say anything? I know when people that we love go to be with the Lord during the year, we reflect on them. Usually the holidays, there's really a, an emptiness, there's a hurt. And then as time seems to go, it seems like less and less we think about those that we, that we love and care about. And, of course, there's some of us. How many, how many remembers their grandma and their grandpa? How many right now, if you really thought about it, if you really thought about a moment that you had with your grandparents, you could cry? Where are you? So there's, 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 a, there's a part of people that sow into our lives that we never forget. Who are you sowing into? Who are you impacting? What difference are you making in someone's life? The very first point that I would like to make today of this lesson is simply this. Know what you want out of life. Know what you want out of life. There are counselors at school that will try to encourage us what classes we need to take to pursue the, the occupation that we want to have. You've got to know what you want out of life. I remember a song by Alice Cooper. Any Alice Cooper fans? Anybody hate Alice Cooper? Anybody hate Alice Cooper? No, we have four that hate Alice Cooper. Okay, you will probably appreciate this. But Alice Cooper on his killer album, what a good title for a great uplifting album, yes. shared the words, I came into this life, looked all around, I saw just what I liked, and took what I found. How many knows that there are two types of people in the world? There are givers, and there are takers. There are sowers, and there are reapers. You can't walk into life and take whatever you want. How many realize it's against the law to do that? But how many knows that there are things that God put in your spirit, your DNA, that as you begin to grow in him and begin to grow up in the Lord, that God will remind you of things that he put in your spirit that he wants you to have. How many knows God wants you to have stuff? We're three of us. Listen, the promises of God are yea and amen. There are things that God has spoke over you, prophesied over you, paid that you might have, that you can walk in. I thought there was, uh, I got something that I wanted to share about the, the ability to know what you want. And realizing in each one of us, there was a tiny seed that God planted that, that you were meant to become something. Here's the challenge in life. Let me share the challenge. We started out as a baby knowing exactly what we wanted. We knew when we were hungry. We spit out foods we didn't like and avidly devoured the ones that we did. We had no trouble expressing our needs and wants. We simply cried loudly with no inhibitions of holding back. Can any parent relate? Until we got what we wanted. We had everything on the inside of us that needed to, to, get, that, that needed to be. We got fed, we got changed, we got held, we got rocked. As we got older, we crawled towards and moved towards whatever held the most interest for us. We were clear about what we wanted. We always headed straight towards it. Can anybody relate? It's called the terrible twos. But guess what happened? Can, can, can you relate? The, the baby gets whatever it wants, right? The baby learns how to lie early in life. How many knows that the baby has that, has that kind of cry in the middle of the night that says, 
I'm wet, come change me. How many parents can relate? Then there's another cry that says, I've done the other thing in my diaper, come change me. How many knows that there's a different cry? Then there's a cry, I'm hungry, I'm starving, I'm gonna die if you don't bring me a bottle. How many knows that cry? Then there's a cry, I've fallen out of the crib, my head is stuck between the rails, and I'm about to choke to death. I'm, I'm dead if you don't get here right away. And how many knows, I remember when, when both the girls were, were, were young, right at first they slept a whole lot. And we were telling people, oh yeah, our babies sleep 10 hours a night. We never, and they would always look at us with that look, this is bound to change. But I remember when, when, when Christine, or Courtney, either one, every four hours they, they, they would cry. And that sometimes I would wake up and Pastor Ron, I will tell you, I did get up at times, especially when it was a cry, I've fallen out of the bed, my neck's between the rails, about to choke to death. I would get up and go towards the bedroom. But mostly, it was the, the, the wives that did that. And thank God for wives. But how many wives can relate to getting that wet cry and you go and you find out the baby's not wet? You get that I'm hungry cry and the baby's not hungry. The baby learns how to manipulate their parents very early in life. It's called building a front porch. How much I'm talking about? When Courtney and Christine did not get their way, Christine still does it better than anybody. They stick that front porch out there and, and they pout. And, and, a, and a daughter can look at her dad just a certain way and melt the dad's heart. Now, mom, mom's a little bit smarter. Mom's not manipulated as easy as the dad. But dads usually, they get, they get so manipulated. And babies learn how to manipulate us. Even now, Christine will come in and say, Dad, you're so cool. Dad, you're good looking. And I know she's up to something, but I want her to give me, and what else, baby? What else about dad that you, am I not? And, and I'll get her to, and I, I, I just milk it all that I can because I realize when they're 30, they're going to care less what, what, hello, come on. And, and, and they, will, they, will, they win your heart, they woo your heart. But guess what happens after you grow up for a while? Somebody comes in your life and says, don't touch that. Stay away from there. Keep your hands off of that. Eat everything on your plate whether you like it or not. How many can relate? When I was about 10, my dad had this attitude, you're going to eat what's set before you or, or, or else. And I was a kid that pretty much, I liked pretty much everything that, that, that mom served. It was really, there were some things mom only served once a year. That was salmon patties. We had salmon. We had it once a year. And then sometimes we would have that sauerkraut wieners. We only had that. There were some things, that, and liver. Mom only cooked that every five years. It was always in the month of July. Every five years we had liver. But one day my dad got in this, he got in this mode. He just got, he got into a gear and he said, you're going to eat what's put before you. And I always did until mom got a can of Chef Boyardee ravioli and the little pockets, the little, and it was horrible. It was, I would say it's still horrible today. And dad made up his mind. I was going to eat, I think there were eight of these Chef Boyardee raviolis on my plate. And dad just made up his mind. You're, you're not leaving this table until you eat it. Well, I mean, being the, being the, the guy that I was, I simply took the ravioli and acted like I was eating it. And then when he wasn't looking, I lifted my shirt and I dropped the ravioli down my shirt. And so it did great. I fooled dad. I fooled mom until I got up to walk away from the table and I, I drooled ravioli droppings. And of course, I still remember to that day, I still remember that whipping. I remember that was like a one to 10. That was an eight and a half. I remember that whipping because my dad felt like now I'm being deceitful and I'm of the devil. Isn't that funny? Ten years old, I got the spirit of the Antichrist living inside of me. But somebody comes into your life and says, you don't really feel that way. You don't really want that. You should be ashamed of yourself. Stop crying. Don't be such 
a baby. And then we graduate from high school and college, we start hearing people say stuff like, you can't have everything you want simply because you want it. Money doesn't grow on trees. Can't you think of anybody but yourself? Stop being so selfish. Stop doing what you're doing and come do what I want you to do. Anybody relate to those people telling you how to live your life? Well, I'm, I'm of the camp of the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want, but you always get what you need. But I think in our life, a lot of times we've been talked out of or disqualified or discredited for some of the things that we want to do. Now, if it was up to me, and Pastor Rhonda is the balance, if it was up to me, whatever Christine said that she wanted to do, I would make sure that she had opportunity. There was a season when she wanted to take karate. And we had a very qualified seventh degree black belt in karate, very set up a school here and was teaching different ages. And so we went and we bought her the gi, that's the white pajamas, the quilted look with the nice belt. That was about 50 bucks. And I think he had some special kick things that we had to buy. That was 20 bucks. And then he was like $20 session. So we had $100 invested and she did great the first two times. And then she was bored. It seemed like there's some other parents. Any other parents helped me in that karate thing? Do you remember that? About Janice Olmby, I thought, maybe, or Matt, was it Amanda or Chani want to take karate? Did they, did they, what, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? Then it was, it was music lessons. And I thought, well, Christine wants to take music lessons. I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to buy her a piano. I'm going to get her a chord chart, a, 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 piano, a piano chart, and I want to pay somebody a chunk of money to teach her to play the piano. Well, that lasted about four days because most people don't want to practice. Come on now. Then there, was the, then there was the ballet. There was a special place in town offering ballet lessons. Pastor Rhonda wouldn't let me do the ballet because she said she ain't going to do it. I promise you she's not going to follow up on that. But that's a, a dad's heart is to let their, let their kids do pretty much anything they want to do, whatever they, whatever they ask for. And if you're around me very much, most answers to my kids are absolutely. Can we do this? Absolutely. Can we go over here? Absolutely. Sometimes I will lie to Pastor Ron and buy the baby stuff with money that came from somewhere else that I didn't tell her I had stashed away. And I just say, hey, somebody came by and gave money. We're going to buy stuff for a kid. Come on, help me. That's the attitude that God has towards you. God puts those thoughts and ideas in your heart and your spirit. And don't worry that you don't follow up on every single thing that you want to do. But know that there are things in your life that, that God wants you to have. How many people went to medical school because dad wanted us to? How many got married to please their mother? Three. How many got a real job instead of pursuing their dream career in the arts? How many went straight to graduate school instead of taking a year off and backpacking through a year? These are some things that I wanted to leave with you, some, some thoughts that I thought would be a blessing. We've come to a place in our life, Michael, Michelangelo said it so well. How many remembers Michelangelo? Chris and Susan, Victoria, you would actually witness the Sistine Chapel, the incredible how many years he spent on his back painting that chapel. Un unbelievable. Let me tell you what Michelangelo has to say. The greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it, but that it is too low and we reach it. I've taught you the difference between a big shot and a little shot. You remember what it was? The big shot never stopped shooting. They, they, they would dream big. See, there's no more effort in having a small dream than having a big dream. It has to do with your heart and spirit and the things that you're focused on and the things that you want. The second point that I want to make, if I, if I might just for a minute, 
is don't let anybody ever talk you out of your vision or out of your dream. I got a, a story here I want to share with you. There are people who will try to talk you out of your vision. They'll tell you that it's crazy, it can't be done. They will laugh at you and try to bring you down to their level. There's a bestseller author by the name of Monty Roberts. He's the author of The Man Who Listens to Horses, a powerful, incredible book. Let me tell you about Monty. When Monty was in high school, his teacher gave the, the class the assignment to write about what they wanted to be when they grew up. Monty wrote that he wanted to own a 200-acre ranch and raise thoroughbred racehorses. The teacher gave him an F for the paper because he said that it was, it was, it was unrealistic. His dream was unrealistic. No boy living in a camper in the back of a pickup truck would ever amass enough money to buy a ranch, purchase breeding stock, and pay necessity salaries for ranch hands. When he offered Monty the chance to rewrite his story, to rewrite his dream for a better grade, Monty said this, you keep the F, I'm keeping my dream. Today, Monty's 154-acre flag is up farms in Solvang, California, raises thoroughbred horses, just sold the last horse he raised for $18 million. Don't let people talk you out of stuff that you think you want to do. Don't let people talk out of stuff that, that you think you want to try. You'll never know if you like something if you don't try it. You'll never know if you've got that talent and, and that gift unless you pursue it. I mean, I've, I've come to a place where I've, I've made up my mind, I am not going to stop learning. I came home the other day, and, and Christine, and I believe it was Chelsea and Cece and, and Alana, they were Skyping, or they were, I mean, they were doing something on the computer. And I thought that was so cool. I went into Christine's room, and she's gone on the computer, and she's made pictures of her friends, and she's, she's put all kinds of, of neat statements with them and posts them all around her room. I thought, how cool to be able to do that on the computer. Well, if you'll simply take the time, you can do that. Pastor Ronald was so cool that this Christmas she bought us one of those, those screens. I think, I think you buy them when you think somebody in your family is going to die. You know, and then they show all the family. You heard about the guy that was dying. He was last, last week or two of life, ridden in the bed, couldn't get out. All of a sudden he smelled something incredible. It was peanut, but, peanut butter cookies. His wife had just made, took out of the oven from the table. It motivated him to get out of bed. He made his way to the kitchen, reached for one of the cookies, and she came in the room and said, you can't have that. Those are for your funeral. Well, anyway, today that when you go into funeral homes, how many, how many, how many, don't make me tell my blind joke about a blind guy walking in a bar now. When you go to funeral homes a day, there's a little screen, and it shows hundreds of pictures. And it's, it, really is a, it really is a cool toy. It has a little remote button on it. There are things you can add, the things you can take away. There's music you can add to it. Well, I read the directions. It was all great to me. So I made a phone call, and today at 5 o'clock, Austin is coming over the house, and they're going to teach me how to use this piece of equipment. You see, you're never too old to learn. You're never too old to try something different. You're ne never too old to try something new. And don't let anybody talk you out of what God has for you. The th second point that I will make to this congregation this morning, let me just reiterate, if I will, on, the, on what you feel like God wants you to do and what you feel like God has for you. When I was 18, I graduated from high school uh, I graduated in the top 10 of my class. There were only 30 in my class. I graduated from Simigod High School at a 3.7 average. 
never studied. I don't ever remember studying for a test. I don't ever remember uh, cramming or uh, I can remember writing the answers down on my hand, but I don't ever remember studying. I always had one of those kind of brains. If I heard it one time, I remembered I went on to college and I majored in law, took two years of law school and really thought that's what I wanted to do and I uh, wanted to be a lawyer. Who would have thought I'd be a lawyer? <laughs> Who would have thought? And, uh, and I got very disillusioned that going to school, and this was in Southern California, going to school, the majority of the students in my classes were cops. And they, too, were wanting to go into other areas of law enforcement. And I began to hang with the wrong crowd. And I began to hang with cops that thought it was funny to take drugs away from kids and then use them or sell them. I got very disillusioned. And uh, later, 20 years later, the actual school that I was going to, the police department that I was a part of, the Compton Police Department, literally got uh, so many, so many arrested, so many officers for illegal that they were they were supplying all the drugs in Compton. That was 20 years after I left Compton. But I, for, for some reason, just something about that I just said I didn't want to be a, a lawyer anymore. I didn't want to be around around people that were taking drugs. It just didn't make sense. I don't know if you're there with me or not. But there was a guy in our church that was a journeyman contractor, carpenter, and he, he opened a door for me to get a job as a journeyman carpenter. There was a season, I don't know if it's still today, but if you want to be an electrician or a carpenter or a mason, you go through apprentice programs. Well, I bypassed all the apprentice programs and I was hired in at full, full wages. I think it was $7.25 an hour. That would have been 30 some odd years ago. And there were benefits, and I wanted the job real bad. If you ever, see, if you ever visit a Walmart or, a, or a, a Walgreen, most of those buildings, the walls are poured on the ground. They stand them up. They brace them off. And they come in with glue lamb beams, put beams in them, and put purlings and plywood. And it was my job, when the entire building was done, it was my job to go on the roof with a pneumatic nail gun, air, air gun with a compressor, and I would nail these, these, these pieces of plywood together. You nail the edge, you nail the middle. And sometimes if the building was built near an airport, your nails were two inches apart. I don't know if you can imagine. But to make a long story short, this nail gun, it was required of me to keep my job to, to nail 500 pounds of nails a day. The, the gun had a little magazine. You put two clips in. It was 95 nails. And unfortunately, I was left-handed. The gun was right-handed, so automatically it was a handicap for me to do the job because of the, the, the gun wasn't set up. How many can relate? You know, left-handers here can't find. I never defined a good left-handed ball glove, left-handed skill saw. Just some things never made, never made for a left-hander. Just never, it never worked out. But, uh, but, I, but I overcame that obstacle, and I learned. I taped the trigger of my gun where I didn't have to hold the trigger. I just tapped the gun twice. I nailed my, my boot to the roof, but never did I nail my toe or my hand. That was later in life when I was building a campers and motorhome. But I would nail, and it was required of me, this, this box of nails, and Dean, Dean can relate, this box of nails weighed 100 pounds. The, the roofs of this building were usually 30 foot tall, and I had to take 100 pounds of nails and climb a 32 foot ladder and get the box of nails on the roof. That in itself could cause a heart attack or hypertension or a lot of bad things. I had to do that five times a day. I had to put those nails out there to keep my job. Sometimes they would bring in other nailers. And you've got to realize we're nailing buildings the size of football fields. And other nailers would come over and stop me and tell me, you need to slow down. You're making us look bad. 
and they would they would they would generate problems with their gun and they would take their gun apart and they would oil it and they would they'd smoke a cigarette i never i i never i never did that because this this was a good job i was 20 years old i'm making seven dollars an hour which today would be about 25 dollars an hour i wanted the job i never slowed down i never backed off in 1975 California hit a construction crisis that almost every single job shut down. People stopped building. My company laid off over 200 carpenters. But my company paid me every day journeyman's wages to sweep the floor. I remember I would come in, the floor I swept the day before, they'd say sweep it again. It wasn't dirty. But their attitude was, we are not going to lose you. You're such a good worker. We're going to keep you on the payroll. Don't ever let anybody talk you out of. Don't ever let anybody convince you to cheat or lie or, or, or manipulate your income tax. Don't ever let anybody tell you to take the lower road. Stay on the road less traveled. Stay on that road of integrity and that road of energy and pursue and become what God wants you to be. The second point today is I want to bring to your attention is to believe that what, has, what God has called you to do, it is possible. Believe what God has called you to do. It is possible. There are two things that you will learn in anything that you want to accomplish well. And those two things are visualization and declaration. How many weightlifters do I have? In the, you, you, you have actually gone through a process where you lift your weights for any amount of time. Three or four of us. We, we were taught that when we, when we lifted weights, usually your workout partner would be right there in your face screaming at you calling you names, motivating you, say, come on, you wuss, you can get one more rep. And a lot of times they would make you so mad about the things they called you that you did the last rep just because you were mad at them. So there, was, there, were, there were people in your life that would declare over you, you can do that. A 12-year-old girl with ha handicap can do that. I mean, they, your mama can do that. Your grandma can do twice as much as you can. And all that declaration over what you can do or what they say you can do, would motivate you to do that. I remember in competition, I weighed 170, and I was going to bench press 300 pounds. Let me tell you something, 300 pounds is a lot of weight when you do it right. You can cheat and jerk and bounce it off your chest, but when you lay that weight on your chest and you push one time 300 pounds, that's a lot of weight. I, I promise you, that's a lot of weight. And I, I remember I was taught by Mr. Mike McLennan, who was Mr. Teenage America I worked out with every day. Here's what he would tell me. He would say, See yourself do the weight before you try it. See in your mind, see that visual, see that, see, and, 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 and compliment yourself. You can do it, you can do it. Man, I would walk up to that bench press so pumped. So, and you know, the first hundred times I couldn't do it. It was a lot of weight. But I will start with 225, then I put two tens on the side. Then I put two more tens, then I put a 25 on the side. And I build up to it. And every time in my mind I saw myself do it, I did it. See, there are things in your spirit that God has told, that, told you that you could have, told you things he wants for you. Let's say hypothetically God has promised you a godly man. God has promised you a godly wife. God has promised you a good, good job. I'm going to teach you how to prophetically visualize and praise in the things that God wants you to have. I had a mom come to me several months ago and say, my son's away from God. I, I, I want my son to be saved. I want him to come back to God. I said, Mom, here's how I want you to pray. I want you to see your son in your spirit. I want you to see him in the altars. I want you to see him with his hands lifted, worshiping and praising. And I want you to prophetically begin to praise God for what he's about to do. 
How many knows that several months later she called and said, you're not going to believe this, but my son has walked away from drugs, he's back in church, he's praising, and he's worshiping God. Why? Because she began to declare it, she began to see it, she began to speak it, she began to visualize it, and then she began to thank God prophetically, I guess on credit. I guess on credit she's storing up praise to God. And I, 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 want, to, I want to promise you, if there's something in your life that you want God to do, know that God has already done it, See it in your heart. See it in your spirit. I mean, he may not be five foot ten, tall, dark, handsome, rich, and good looking. I mean, he may have a mold or two. He may have a little idiosyncrasy. I mean, he might be perfect to you, but you know, you're not perfect either. So let God, let God play all that out. But begin, God, I thank you for a godly husband. I thank you for a godly father. I thank you for a man that I can sow my life and spend. Come on, you guys are too quiet this morning on this visualization stuff. See, go ahead, see, go visualize what God has for you, wants for you and know that God will bring it to pass. i got a couple of notes here I want to share with you. Caleb was one of the guys that was chosen by Moses to go in the promised land. Twelve of them went in. Twelve of them came out. Ten of them had the attitude the giants were too big to hit. Two of them had the attitude the giants are too big to miss. Yesterday, we started out shooting at a piece of rebar and a tin can on top, of the, on top of the rebar. Well, we all shot at it, and nobody could hit it but Paul. Well, that made me mad, so I went and got a chair. And I put the chair down there. And we put the chair when it was up on the deck. I could hit the chair. See, if you realize that your enemy is too big to miss, you'll never fail. Someone said said, you can't hit the broad side of a barn. Who's ever heard that before? You can't hit the broad. Yeah, you can. I promise you, walk up to a barn with a 12-gauge shotgun with double-lock buck, you can, you, you, can, you can kill that barn. That, that barn can be hit. If you will see the challenges, and come on, help me now. If you see the challenge in your life, too, too, big, too big to miss, how could I possibly miss that challenge? How could I not do that? I can see myself doing it. I can declare myself doing it. I can make it happen. Yesterday, I took a young man 10 years old. He's smart like his mom. He's already taken Latin. He's got piano lessons. He's, um, his church has Royal Rangers. I think he's a Cub Scout or something like that. And we were shooting at the can, and we couldn't hit the can. So I said, let's shoot. Let's shoot at the, let's shoot at the, at the chair. So I put my arms around his hands, and I, and I pulled the, the hammer back on that, on that pistol, the 22 little P.B. Walter pistol, and I pulled it back. And I said, now, you just, you just point at the chair like you're pointing at something. And he pointed, and he hit the chair. Hit the chair five times in a row. Now, the guys, we had a 44 Magnum, and we had a 38 Special. And uh, I think one of the guys grabbed the 44 and shot. Of course, you can hear it four miles away. And it scared him. And he didn't want to shoot the 44. He didn't want to shoot their 38. I said, don't worry about that. I said, they're grown men. They've been doing this a long time. Let's shoot the 22 again. Get comfortable in the accomplishments that God has given you Practice them until you do them better than anybody else. And know there will come a time when you will get the, you will get the, the, the what, what am I looking for? The courage to shoot the bigger weapon. Hello? See, there's no difference between a little gun and a big gun. They both operate the same way. They both do the same thing. One's noisier. One may have a little kick on it. Someone said, well, I'm afraid to shoot a shotgun. I said, why? Why are you afraid to shoot a shotgun? Well, I'm afraid it'll hurt me. So I walked up to him and I said, did that hurt? Well, no. Well, that's what a shotgun does. The challenge with the shotgun, while you're shooting the shotgun in your ear, boom! Now, that hurt. 
See, the sound, listen, the sound hurts more than the action of shooting the gun. And is that not the way the in- enemy tries to work? He tries to intimidate us, cause us to fear, scream in our life, it's too big, it's too, it's, you, you, you can't handle it. But when you actually do it, it wasn't that bad at all. Somebody needs to give the Lord a hand clap of praise that I didn't hurt poor Todd's ear. I want to share, I want to share this with uh, this statement from Max Licato. It would, you know what, if you'll just turn to someone to your right, and if you'll just declare this to them, I'm going to speak it. I want to ask you to repeat it. Just, yeah, just get right in someone's face. If they need a breath mint, go ahead and take time to give a breath mint. If they've, got, if they've got cereal on their teeth, go ahead and let them know. Get, their, get, their, get, everything, get everything ready. Okay, ready? Look at your neighbor and say this. You weren't an accident. You weren't mass-produced. You aren't an assembly line product. You were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned on this earth by the master craftsman. God doesn't make junk, and he thinks you're awesome. Nobody can do it like you. You're the one. So step up the plate. And take a swing. Don't be afraid if you're going to miss. Just keep swinging. Because the odds are, every once in a while, you're going to whack the ball and hit a home run. Give a Lord a hand clap of praise. Now, you know, you know that Max didn't say all that, right? Don't waste your time believing you can't do something. When Courtney learned how to drive, it was not I who taught her. It was a friend of the family. And it was an ordinary car. It was a stick shift. I don't know how you did ninth grade driving a stick shift, but before I got a grip, I trashed two clutches smell it. Lie your dad, but you couldn't get rid of the smell. I burnt two clutches out learning how to drive a, a stick shift. I don't know how I'm going to lay it, but it's, it's one, of, one of the areas of your life that you've got to be coordinated. You've got to think about what you're doing. You've got you to shift. You've got to break at the same time. She had a problem with that. When I got ready to release her to the nation, which is scary, and allow her to drive by herself, we took a road trip. And I believe it was either Sarah, I think it was Dean Sarah, and so we drove the Suburban. And I got in the front seat, and I made her drive through downtown Atlanta. We didn't take the bypass. We went right through 75. And somewhere in the middle of Atlanta, the lanes go 12 inches narrower. How many knows that? There's 12. And all of a sudden, you're driving, and the, the 18-wheels are right there on you. Look, it's going to hit you. Gonna, it's gonna, and the whole time we were driving, I was completely freaking out. <laughs> I'm saying to myself, I'm not going to live. I'm going to die. I, I am not. I, we're we're going to die here. And poor Sarah's in the back seat. She's probably praying in tongues the whole time we were there. But we made it. We made it through that, that spot. And see, when you learn how to drive the most advanced vehicle in the most dangerous territory, then you can drive anything. Don't assume that you're not smart enough. Don't assume that you don't have the education. 
I, I'll, be, I'll be very careful what I say, but most of the people that I see scholar and do well in school don't have enough sense to roll up the window when it's raining. I know, I know there are always exceptions to the rule. I don't want to be, but most people that their parents always push them about grades, 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 and they got scholarship, scholarship. Most of those kids don't have enough sense sometimes to wipe the, the, the stuff off their shirt when they're eating and they miss their mouth. Just thought I would leave that with you. Okay. You ready for this? 20% of America's millionaires never set foot in college. 21 out of the 222 Americans listed as billionaires in 2003 never got their college diplomas. Two of them never finished high school. Larry Ellison, CEO of Oracle. How many ever heard of Oracle? Dropped out of high school is now worth $18 billion. Bill Gates dropped out of Harvard. How many have heard of Bill Gates? Dropped out of Harvard, created Microsoft, is worth today $46 billion. Even Dick Cheney dropped out of high school, and he shot one of his friends deer hunting, a duck hunting. So if, if the vice president of the United States, if Bill Gates can do what they do as college dropouts, don't disqualify yourself and say, well, I didn't go to college. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Don't ever assume that you're, that you're not smart enough. Don't ever assume that. If God put it in your heart and spirit, you can do it. Point number three. I'm almost done. Believe it or not, the world is not out to get you. Let me say it again. Believe it or not, the world is not out to get you. Everything in life that comes your way in a negative, see it as an opportunity, not as a setback. See, out of survival comes revival. Out of pain comes promise. Your last setback could very be your next comeback. The guys had fished all night long. They knew what they were doing. They supported their family, children. They've been doing this their whole life. They did it. Their dad did it. Their grandfather did it. They had it down. They'd fished all night long and had caught a fish. I can relate. I've been to lakes. I knew the fish were there. I'd caught the fish. I had all the right lures, had all the right bait. The fish simply did not bite. You can't force a fish to bite if it doesn't want to. Three ways to make a fish bite. You, you get in their face aggressively, they're hungry, or you put something in their territory. And sometimes you can do everything you want to do. The fish just don't bite. These guys had fished all night long. Jesus standing on the shore. said, guys, you caught anything? They said, no, Lord, we fished all night, and we haven't caught a single thing. He says, drop your net one more time. Now, listen, these guys had dropped their net all night long. These guys had thrown the net out. They let, they let the boat drift through the current. They pulled the net up. I don't know how many times. Maybe five, maybe 10, maybe 20. Maybe it was maybe a 30-minute process. Maybe 20 times that night they dropped the net. Had not caught a single fish. Jesus says, go to your last failure and try one more time. Go to the thing you last could not do. Go to the thing that stole your joy. Go to the thing that stole your energy. Square your shoulders. Throw back your chin. Take a deep breath. See yourself doing it. Walk in obedience. Throw that net out there. And guess what happened? They caught so many fish, the net started to rip, and another boat had to come 
and assist them, and they counted those fish. And guess how many fish there were? 127. Guess why? Because at that particular time in the world, there were 127 countries upon the face of the earth. And I think Jesus was telling them, as you saw, harvest at night, so are you going to harvest the world through the gospel. How cool is that? God knows what he has for you to do. If God wants us to touch the world, then God's going to give us the ability to touch the world. If God is raising us up to speak, then we've got to practice. We've got to prepare ourselves. We've got, we got to read a book. We've got to listen to a tape. We've got to try to make ourselves better. So when the opportunity comes and God tells us to do it, we do it. God said, don't worry about what you're going to say. Make sure you have stuff in here so that when the Holy Spirit begins to prompt you, you have something to say. But don't worry. When I put you in the place I want you to be, I'll give you the words to say. I'll give the ability to do what I've called you to do. If somebody will, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. There's got, there's got to be something in your heart and spirit. I'm going to share statements of three men or the, 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 the area of three men. John F. Kennedy made the statement, ask not what your country can do for you. You know, our, our country sometimes gets to the place that we feel like our answers have got to come from them. Our country provides food stamps. And I don't know if, if most of you know, if you know anybody that's on food stamps, they will tell you, there's no way possible they could possibly spend all the, all, the, all the coupons on food stamps. It's way too much. Did you know that? So it motivates them to take food stamps and begin to trade them. Trade them for drugs. Trade them, give them to someone else. I know, I know parents. You know parents, and I won't tell you who, but I know parents that their kids are on food stamps, that their kids gives them the food stamps left over, and they use the food stamps. I think that's wrong. I think our nation has learned that we need to depend upon the government for all of our needs. And I appreciate Mr. Obama wanting to give health care for every single person upon the, the, the face of our nation. It ain't going to happen. Paul had a little minor thing happen. He, the tractor rolled on him. Good report. Tractor's okay. Tractor's okay. His one little moment of, of the tractor cost eight grand. One, one moment, I don't remember, I think last night Ray was taken to the emergency room because of some concussions things going on. And I promise it's going to be a $5,000. There's no way possible our government can possibly pay that kind of bill. There's no way. I mean, it's a great idea. It's a great plan. But you've got to stop depending upon your government or your mama or your job to provide what you need. It's in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the ability to step up and be what God wants you to be. John F. Kennedy had a dream. You know what his dream was? To put a man on the moon. And guess what happened under his leadership? It happened. Martin Luther King had a dream. A dream where there was no racial prejudice, where, where people could live in peace. And we are together right now living better. All the all different uh, cultures of the world were living together better now than we've ever lived in the past hundred years. Bill Gates, check this out, a nerd that had a plastic thing in his pocket so that the ink pens didn't spill. How many seen those guys? I mean, that's, that's, that's what he looked like when he, he, we, when he put together Microsoft. You know what his dream was? That every single home would have a computer that would be tied into a worldwide Internet. In our home, there are one, two, yes, even Spike has, we have five, we have five computers in our house. That, is that right? Courtney, we have three? And Spikes. We'll get him one. Okay, we have, we have three. How many got more than one computer in your house? You got more than one. How many, how many you got at least one? Okay, those of you that have two, how many doesn't have any? Oh, good. Those who have two, you give one of yours away to the one that only has one. But you see that, that what, he, what he dreamed 
It came to pass. Jesus Christ had a dream. He said, in my father's house, are many mansions. We're not so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He is returning. But guess who he's returning for? The steward that took what God gave them. The steward that took that DNA of God and began to sow it, began to invest it, and got back double what he originally started with. God gives every one of us talents. We learned that last week. And God wants you to use those talents for his glory. It may be so insignificant. Thanks. Say that fast three times. Woohoo, boy. Insignificant, insignificant, insignificant. You may feel like it's so, it's not all that. But you never know what, you never know how God can take insignificance. How's that? Say that fast. And turn into a, a powerful road for someone to walk, to follow. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, there's a church there. And one day, during Sunday school, the pastor was walking the lobby of the church. There was a third grade girl, obviously was from the projects, obviously didn't have Oshkosh, didn't have all the fancy name brands, clothes were worn, even a little dirty was getting ready to leave the facility. And the pastor said, Sis, where are you going? And she said, Well, I went to the Sunday school class, but I was told that there wasn't room there for me, so I'm leaving. Little girl from the projects. pastor took her by the hand, went back in the classroom, and very nicely chewed everybody out in the room. And she remained. She attended that church for two years. Two years later, in the projects, She's found dead. Ten years old. And in her possession was a little red coin purse. And it was split on the side. It was so old and so battered. And inside that coin purse was 57 cents and a note that said, this 57 cents is for my church to build a facility for all the children. Probably use the word facility for all the children. The pastor made that illustration at the funeral, told about the little girl, how she had come and turned away, brought back in, stayed in the church, died in the projects, gave that offering. The newspaper got a hold of it. Reporters made a big deal about it. A realtor read it. Realtor called the church. Church is wanting to build, didn't have money to build, didn't have land, didn't have the finances to build. Realtor calls the, the pastor and says, hey, I got over 100 acres, probably about 200 acres. I want to sell the church. I know you guys want to build. I know that's your vision. I want to help you accomplish your vision. The pastor said, sir, appreciate the offer, but there is no way that we can pay for the 100 some odd acres. We're broke. And the realtor said, I'll sell it to you for 57 cents. That little girl's life so impacted his life that what he had, he gave. If you ever go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, there's a church there called Bible Temple Baptist Church. Today, they have their own college. They have a good Samaritan orphanage house. The facility is big enough to accommodate hundreds of children, hundreds of adults. The pastor wrote the book from Acres of Diamonds. You may have heard the book. 
a little girl, 57 cents, impacted that, that city, impacted generation after generation. Why? Because she took what she had and she made it avail available to God and God blessed it. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, as no one's looking around, it's four minutes after 12. God has not given us the spirit of intimidation, but that doesn't mean that we don't have it. The enemy has convinced us for years to pick up things and take them home and feed them and support them and believe them. The Bible says that God has given us the power of love, the power of a sound mind. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed with the things of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we begin to feed our brain with positive truths from the Bible, the Word of God, we will realize that God will begin to reassert the visions and dreams he gave us when we were younger. The word says, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. When your mind and your heart come in line, the Bible says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Choose life. That when we're thinking right and our heart is right and we're speaking right, that we're going to get what God has encouraged us to ask for. He said, you have not because you ask not. As we walk this path of life, as every day can, can begin the same and end the same if we're not careful, here we are, January 23rd. This first, first month of 2011, I remember the, the 2nd of February, I'm in Minneapolis preaching, and I'm thinking to myself, 2011 is going to be a great year, but almost one-tenth, one-twelfth of 2011 is already gone. What does God want us to do with this year? I believe that God wants us to take those hidden talents, hidden abilities, hidden favor. God wants to begin to nurture them, to feed them, to build them up, to allow them to grow, to let them come forth, that we would step out of the box, that we would get out of the bubble, that our life would be significant. So, well, Pastor, I don't, I don't know how to do that. There are hundreds of ways that you can do that. Every Monday night, guys gather for time and encouragement and refreshment. From, from, from last Monday on, every Monday night, there will be a 12-step program here helping people in the city to get together and receive counsel and prayer and advice from people that have the ability to give counsel and prayer and advice. Every Wednesday, tables are set up, and we, are to, we go back to the classroom setting, and we're learning how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife, how to be a better son, a better daughter, a better employer, a better employee, a better, a better child of God. Every Sunday, we're given an opportunity to come and stand before us and worship. This morning, different ones brought some that were away from God. And in the worship, they came back to God. Today's a brand new day in their life. There's so many ways that we can be involved. Every Wednesday, there's dozens of cars drive up. We don't have the facility to witness to them, to show them a video, to help them in, in any area. But we can't walk up to that car with a cup of hot chocolate, and we can't introduce ourselves. And after we meet them every Wednesday night for weeks on end, eventually that friendship gives us the ability to ask them to come to some of the events that we're doing. There's so many things that we can do with our talents and gifts and our time, even in school, in, in every area of, of our life. 
where there's something on the inside of us that's trying to get out. There's something on the inside of us that, that feels that there's greatness in their spirit and greatness in their bones. We need to stop pushing that anointing to the side, that, that blessing to the side. And again, we need to start feeding it and letting it be released in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for our time together. You said the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel is what changes men's minds. Father, let us today, like Michelangelo, don't let us set our goals so low that we, we arrive at them easily and we're not, we're not pushed to do greater. But God, allow us that we can do all things through you. If it's your will, it's your bill. If it's, if it's your unction of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be there to walk us through it and to, sort, and, and to help us sort it out. God, let us every day know that our days are full of promise and hope and expectation. And God, if there's one here today that's not where they are supposed to be, let this week be the week they come back to you, they draw close to you, they turn back to you, they call upon your name. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And they all said, I thank you for your faithfulness and your consistency. I thank you for being a part of what God is saying and what God is doing. If you're on Facebook, you can encourage your friends to watch the podcast. It will be on about 3 o'clock this afternoon. It's Tuesday night. You have an opportunity to come and be a part. Uh, if you are a part of this house and for 